You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Open up to 2 Kings 22. 2 Kings 22. I want us this morning to go back in time to one of the greatest moments of reformation slash revival slash renewal in the history of Israel and Judah. So this is, this is a difficult moment in the history of Israel. Um, if you think of Israel, 12 tribes, this is a time when actually Israel is divided up into two different kingdoms. That's not God's ideal for division and strife and for infighting. And so God's people actually divided into two different kingdoms, Israel, who was extremely rebellious, and Judah, who's like kind of, kind of obedient to the Lord sometimes. And so we see here in this story, in Judah, in the kingdom of Judah, a righteous king that arises in the midst of a lot of evil in his day. And I just want us to be inspired to pray for a move of God in our day. The title for what I want to share with you this morning is this simple question. Why do we pray for revival? And along with that, why do we need to pray for revival? And I believe the story of King Josiah gives us a a beautiful um, list of and all these different ways in which we need to pray for revival and the rationale as to why we need to contend and seek the Lord's face for, for renewal, for reformation, for revival in our day. The, that word revival, it's a, tr- it's a church word, so please excuse that, um, that word. It's, it's helpful, though. It describes the people of God coming to life, coming to live in the fullness of what Christ, Christ purchased for us. And if you remember last week, Ephesians 1, that was Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus, that their eyes would be opened, that they wouldn't live on this plane of like boredom, apathy, spiritual poverty, but that they would rise up into all that Christ purchased for them, that their, the eyes of their heart would see the hope that they have in Christ, regardless of their circumstances, they have hope, the riches that they have in Christ, beyond their net worth, beyond what the world says, the riches that they have in Christ, and the power that's available for those that believe. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. I mean, it's a pretty incredible prayer, and so that is revival. Revival is the people of God actually living in alignment with what Christ purchased for us, and he came to bring abundant life. So it doesn't mean life's gonna be easy, it means Christ is the answer in every circumstance, and we can live with a vision of that in our day-to-day life, and that is revival. In King King Josiah's day, everything's stacked up against him, but yet he begins to seek the Lord. So you think your circumstances are difficult, Hopefully you can look at poor Josiah and see that his circumstances were probably tougher and, uh, and be inspired to seek the Lord afresh in our day. In King Josiah's day, not only was the kingdom split in two, his father and his grandfather were some of the worst kings in Judah and Israel. King Manasseh says the streets were filled with blood because of the ch- child sacrifice that was happening in Manasseh's day. This is Josiah's grandfather. So innocent blood is being spilled as worship to these pagan gods. That's how twisted and demonically uh, convinced his grandfather was. And 
The book of Second Chronicles tells us that his grandfather Manasseh actually did turn to the Lord at the very end of his day, which I believe was like the, the first preaching of good news to, to Josiah as he saw that in his grandfather, but that's speculation. His father, King Amon, only reigned for two years, but the account that we have is that his father also followed in the ways of King Manasseh and walked in these evil, evil ways, just abhorrent ways, chasing after other gods. So not only is that what's Josiah's inheritance, all these other kingdoms and empires are beginning to rise up around Israel. So like they have Egypt, they have Babylon, which is kind of the rising power of the day, and there's Assyria, who is the power of the day. And so all three of these kingdoms are rallying around tiny little Israel slash Judah, and then God calls an eight-year-old boy to be king. So you think your circumstances are tough, just be inspired here by King Josiah. Why do we need to pray for revival? Let's look. It says this, Josiah, this is 2 Kings 22, first one, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adaiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in all the way of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. First reason we need to pray for revival is that every generation is given an invitation for revival. Every generation is given a clean slate of invitation to say yes to the Lord. That's the good news of Christ. We are not who our parents were. We're not who our grandparents were. We all have an invitation. Every generation is that way. Praise God that God could reach in and reach the heart of an eight-year-old. If you want to read more of the story of Josiah, go to 2 Chronicles chapter 34, and you can read more of it. It actually gives more story to his teenage years. It says at the age of 16, he began to seek the Lord. At the age of 20, he began to look around and, and realize we need to pull down these idols. And so let us not despise the youth. Let us not look around and give an excuse for our generation. But yet with faith, let's say, how about it be our generation that turns to the Lord? How about, how about it be our generation that seeks the Lord? No more excuses. And so within this prayer for revival is finally a putting aside of these excuses. Doesn't matter what our lot has been, what we've been given. Let us seek the Lord. That is, that's the good news of Christ. It was quoted earlier, Tony, I believe it was Pastor Tony uh, quoting uh, Revelation chapter three, come and buy from me this gold refined from the fire. So a generation that actually hears the words of Jesus, those are the words of Jesus, and says, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take him at his word. I'm going to seek the Lord. Every generation has an invitation to seek the Lord for renewal, for new life in our day. Tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon, our youth are going to be going to teen Bible camp. And I've had so much faith and expectation for our young people. Can we right now just pray for our teenagers, for our youth? We've got 20-some youth going to teen Bible camp down the road. And, uh, and I say, why not our generation, Lord? Why, why not in our day would you move amongst our youth, amongst our teenagers, despite what's going on in our culture and in our world? Why not in our day, Lord? Let's right now just pray for our youth. I won't even make them stand because they'll hate me and be embarrassed. So let's just pray for the youth. You can spot them out around you. Um, 
pray for our youth. God, it is a pleasure, a delight, an honor for us to in faith pray for the youth of our church family and the youth that will be gathering from across the state. And we say, why not in our day? God, would you move amongst the teenagers of this generation? God, I believe you're lifting the veil, you're lifting the blinders off the eyes of youth to see you for who you are. God, would you raise up a generation of Josiahs and Samuels that despite darkness around them, they hear the voice of God and they seek your face. They resist the excuses that the enemy feeds them, hand feeds them. And they say, I'm gonna seek the Lord, I'm gonna seek the face of God. And God, would there be renewal that comes to the young people in our generation? God, put a yes in their mouth. Put a yes in their mouth for the invitation from Christ that this week specifically, there'd be a band of youth that come back on fire for you, having, having a radical yes in their mouth to you, to their king, to their master, to their Lord, in your precious name, amen. There's another reason why we need to pray for revival right here that we just read, and it's because our ways are seen by the Lord. You notice what it says about Josiah as he began to seek the Lord. He says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Revival in its essence is living consciously aware of the Lord. And the counter to that is also true. When we live oblivious to God's reality, we are living in darkness. We're living in evil. We're living in rebellion against the Lord. So when we live conscious of the Lord, we're living in alignment with his fullness. We're living in alignment with his life. And that is the essence of revival, is God consciousness. It's this sense that God is here. In the, uh, the book of Proverbs, the whole basis of the entire book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom, you want to live wisely. Live consciously aware of the Lord. The b- book of Proverbs says, that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So you want to know what's right or what's wrong and then how to live that out? Increase your awareness of God's reality. Be conscious of God. And that is what Josiah began to do. So we pray because we recognize that every day matters, that our lives matter, and we're living out our lives before a God who sees all, who knows all. Our ways are seen by him. And when we harden our hearts to that, We're then living in rebellion. We're living counter to that. So we pray and we seek and we contend because we realize that God sees it all. My my ways are before you, Lord. There's so much in that passage in verse two. I love that Josiah uh, aligned himself with the way, not of his father or of his grandfather, but of David. He said, I'm in alignment with the greatest king of Israel, King David, who obviously is the, the... the precursor of Christ, the foreshadowing of Christ himself. So he's, he says, I'm going to fall in the way of David the great. Let's, let's read verse 3. So, so far we have, I hope you're writing these down, okay? There's going to be 10 ways or 10, sorry, 10 reasons why we pray for revival. The first is that every generation, every generation is given an invitation. The second reason is because our ways are seen before the Lord. Let's read verse 3 because they're going to keep coming here. There's 10 reasons why we need to pray for revival. Verse three, it says, in the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of 
Mushalam, the secretary to the house of the Lord, saying, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. Let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house, that is to the carpenters, to the builders, to the masons, and let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. There's more reasons why I believe we need to pray for revival here from Josiah's example. One is because we need God to prick our heart. We need God to begin to burn in our hearts his priority. And you begin to see this shift happening, King Josiah. As King Josiah, at the age of 16, begins to seek the Lord, secondly, he begins to, as the Lord uh, softens his heart, begins to recognize that the idols need to be taken out of the temple of God. They need to be taken out of Israel. We are people that are going to serve the Lord. But then he begins to realize that the house of God, the temple of God, is in disrepair. The house of God has been neglected, just the maintenance of it, which is not so much in the exterior sense all that important to the Lord. The Lord is not, um, he's not kept back, back by cobwebs or uh, a lack of paint. You know, the, 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 like the Lord is the God of the universe. Those things are not a big deal to him. It's a big deal to him because it's a reflection of their hearts because they're not stewarding and caring for the things that are, are, uh, that are worshiped to the Lord. And so the Lord does care about those things to the level that they are a reflection of our hearts. But we need to pray for revival because we need the Lord to prick our hearts with the things that are a priority to him. And that's what began to happen in Josiah's life. His, his heart began to be moved by the things that God uh, was moved by. And God was beginning to um, promise judgment against Israel for their idolatry and their chasing after, after other gods. So we need God to move our hearts. So God, what's your priority in our generation? What do you want us to go after? And I, I, I sense it in the air right now. The Lord is beginning to stir up people's hearts. As we turn our hearts to seek the Lord, the Lord is raising up people for specific causes. I was just talking to a friend yesterday who said his heart is so burdened by the, uh, the human trafficking cause right now. And that, that plight that is so much unseen by the, by the physical, you know, what, what we see with the natural eye, but it's happening in droves in our generation, this, the sex trafficking, human trafficking of our day, and his heart is burdened by it. There are others that are burdened, their hearts are pricked, they're moved by the, the slaughtering of the unborn, the innocent blood that's being spilt in our generation. Their hearts are moved by that. That's the heart of the Lord as people seek, seek God. There are others that are moved by the, the, the plight of sexual confusion in our generation, and their hearts are beginning to be burdened with those things. That is God's heart in revival, and we need the Lord to move our hearts. And central to it all is my fourth point, why, why we need to um, pray for revival. It's because Christ is all in all, because there is one priority that God is most burdened by, and it's he, him being central in the church, and him being central as the, the reason for being and the... the um, the point of it all, being Christ who is all in all. And we see that in verse five, six, seven, as, he, as Josiah begins to rally the people to prepare the house of the Lord so that God again would be central in Judah, that God would be central in Israel. 
How sad it is that a people whose origin story was God himself would neglect the God who, who formed them, the God who, um, the only reason they are a nation, the only reason they are a people is because God himself and they have neglected that God. And so how ignorant it is, how silly it is, how foolish it is. And Josiah began to see that. So we need to pray for revival because Christ is all in all. And so our emphasis on anything else would be foolishness. We would be, we'd, we'd be wandering into, into, onto a scary territory to emphasize anything other than Christ being all in all in the church. It's a, using the analogy of Paul, it would be like a headless church, a headless body. So prayer and praying for revival is turning our eyes to the head of the church. Praying for revival is turning our eyes to, to seek the face of God, using the words of David. God says, seek my face, and David says, your face, Lord, I will seek. So that is, that is praying for revival, is turning our eyes to the head of the church, saying, Lord, would you be all in all? We want you to be central no personality, no building, no brand, no music. Lord, would you be all in all? So you would be seen, would you be known? And that's what was happening on Josiah's day. God was again gonna be central for, for Judah. You know, that was his territory, it was Judah, but ultimately for all of Israel, that Christ would be all in all in Israel. So every, genera- every generation is given an invitation Our ways are seen by the Lord. Three is we need God to prick our hearts. We need the Lord to move our hearts. Four is because Christ is all in all. Let's keep reading. There's more. Um, Verse eight, it says this. And Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, and if any of you have corrections on my pronunciations, kudos for you. Kudos to you. Just extra points for you. I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Just imagine this moment. The revelation of God given to Israel had been so neglected that they're like, they dusted off this book and they brought it to the, to the king. Well, actually at this point, just brought it to the king's secretary. It's like, hey, I found this old, this old book, this old thing. I don't, don't know what it is. Let's check it out. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And now, now it's on. Like now, now revival is gonna be let loose in Judah because the goodness of God's promises are going to be revealed to King Josiah. Shaphan, his secretary, read it and it was blown away by it. We gotta get this to the king. It's kind of an indictment to Hilkiah, the priest, the fact that this book had gotten so neglected. And there's speculation as to what part of the Torah was recovered. If it was the full Torah, you know, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, there's some that, th- that think specifically what rocked them was Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30. Just go back and look at that and just put yourself back in the shoes sometime. I'm not going to do it now, but you go back and read it sometime. 28, 29, and 30 of Deuteronomy. And imagine you living in an age of complete idolatry and rebellion and evil and more moved by other cultures around you than what God gave you. And then you uncover Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30. And all of a sudden you read the 
the blessings and the curses that come along with obedience and disobedience accordingly. I'm not going to read it all, but I just have to read part of it here for you. Let me, let me, let me read this. See, so just imagine <laughs> that you uncovered this book and this is what you read. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, that's Yahweh, that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. So Josiah would be like, okay, we are not blessed right now. We are in, we're divided. We are being threatened by Assyria. Egypt is threatening us. Things are not going well. And then he keeps reading. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but you are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over, to Jordan, or over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days. Josiah's dad lived or only reigned for two years. He's like, okay, his life was cut short. That you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to give them. You'll see Josiah's response, and it's radical, but something hit them. And this is the fifth reason. It's because the covenant promises of God are better than we think. The fifth reason why we need to pray for revival is because the, the covenant promises of God are better than our rational minds can even comprehend. We read it in Ephesians 1 last week. It's, it's more than our hearts can even begin to wrap, wrap themselves around. Therefore, we should devote ourselves and submit ourselves to Lord, give, give us eyes to embrace the fullness of the promises of God, the covenant promises that are open to us through Christ. And so if, if Deuteronomy 28, 29, 30 was what was discovered here in 2 Kings 22, I believe a parallel passage in the New Testament to those passages is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Christ at length talks about this new covenant age that we live in. So imagine reading Matthew 5, 6, and 7 with those sorts of fresh eyes, where he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Those are the, those are the promises of God that are given to us through Christ, that Christ opened the door for us. And so we would be humble, we would be, it'd be prudent of us, it'd be wise of us to submit ourselves to that covenant and to say, God, would you allow these blessings to be seen and known in our day? We want to be meek, we want to hunger and thirst for you, we want to be poor in spirit, we want to depend on you. His covenant promises are better than we think. What he promises us then in those passages is blessing, provision. He, he promises us healing and wholeness, and, and that is revival. So his covenant promises are better than we think. I challenge you this week to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Do it every day. Matthew 5, it doesn't take you long. Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and submit yourself to the reviving work of the covenant promises of God. 
I dare you. Verse 11. We'll see what happens here. I'll just read just verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. So Josiah was just undone. This is the stately king of Judah, the man who should be a little more dignified than that. But he, he did what was undignified, and he tore his clothes before the Lord. He did not care what anybody thought. And this is the beginning of repentance. So the sixth reason why we need to pray for revival in our day is because repentance actually looks like something. Repentance looks like something. And therefore, we can't give the Lord just lip service. We can't just say, oh Lord, everything's not going so well in our generation. We need you. And then we go on just continuing to follow the ways of the world. No, we need to devote ourselves to seeking the Lord because repentance looks like something. And so right away, Josiah took it upon himself to demonstrate to everyone that he was serious about what he had just read and that everything was gonna change. And, you, and we'll read it this time. Well, next time I share, I'm gonna read more in 2 Kings 23. You'll see how serious he was about repentance. We can't give the Lord just our lip service. It's actually a very dangerous place to go to just give the Lord our lip service. Isaiah 29, it says, you know, you guys honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. So there is this temptation within humanity to give the Lord lip service, to say, oh, wow, we read these promises. Lord, you're so good. You're better than I think. Christ opened up the way in so many ways for me, and then we kind of keep going down the same road. <laughs> we just kind of keep living the same way. Josiah made, a, made an emphatic statement that he was not going to allow that to be the case in his, in his way, and his, his life had continued to point that direction. You know, as he began to seek the Lord, he was serious, and, and repentance for him did look like something. You know, how the way for Jesus was paved was by the call from John the Baptist, which was for repentance. And he said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So don't allow your repentance to simply stop with just confession of the Lord. Like, oh, I've, I've missed the mark, Lord. I'm sorry. And then you go around and you do the same thing again. No, repentance looks like something. And it starts with the people of God on their knees their eyes being opened to his promises and then them devoting themselves to seeing God fulfill his promises in their day, not following the ways of this world, not following the cues of our culture. And so we devote ourselves now from this day forward to the things of God. He tore his clothes. Verse 12, and the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Hakiam the son of Shaphan and Achbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Isaiah the king's servant saying, go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people, for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. The seventh reason why we need to pray for revival is because God speaks to his people. Josiah's response 
was that we need to go inquire of the Lord. We need to go and hear from the Lord. A majority of what praying is, is hearing from the Lord. That's, that's probably two-thirds of it. You know, when we gather for corporate prayer, we devote two-thirds of our time to simply hearing from the Lord. Because before we fill our spaces with all of our words, we need to first hear from the Lord. We need to make sure that we're actually praying in alignment with the will of heaven, the will of God. And so Josiah, I believe prompted by Holy Spirit, he operated wisely here. And he said, we're going to go inquire of the Lord. This is not a unique phrase to Josiah's day. I don't know what Josiah was privy to in terms of the testimony of David, but that was the way of life for, for King David. When King David inquired of the Lord, he walked rightly. He walked wisely in the ways of God. When he neglected to inquire of the Lord, you know, things did not go well for David. And so it's amazing that Josiah, in his youthfulness, in his um, natural ignorance, how he was so tender to the Holy Spirit to say, I need to hear from the Lord. We're going to go and inquire from the Lord. And God speaks to his people still in our day. I want to tell you, we need to pray for revival because God speaks to his people. Jesus told us that my sheep know my voice. We need to hear from the Lord in our generation. We need to set our hearts to hear from him. That whole phrase, seeking the face of God, a huge part of it is hearing from the Lord. We're turning our face to him. Oh, that he might speak to us, that he might share his heart with us, that he might entrust himself to a people. We need to hear from the Lord. And that's only going to come from a people that devote themselves to praying and spending time with him, that he would speak to his people. Amen? Let's keep reading. There's a few more. Hope you're writing these down. One was every generation is given an invitation. Two, our ways are seen by the Lord. Three is we need God to prick our hearts. Four is because Christ is all in all. Five is because the covenant promises are better than we think. Six is because repentance looks like something. And seven is because God speaks to his people. Let's keep reading. So Hilkiah the priest and Hekayim and Akbor and Shaphan and Isaiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter and they talked with her. She said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me. And I'll just stop there. I could keep reading. I, we will finish this passage, but this is, this is the eighth reason. It's because God is raising up a remnant of people. God in every generation has been assembling a remnant of people that are tender to his voice, that are um, seeking after him. And so right when you think that everything is going to hell in a handbag, I would caution you to, to pause and stop and, and remember that God is always setting apart a people for himself. He's always calling a remnant of people. And if that is true, then don't you want to be a part of that remnant? Don't you want to be a part of that, that group that, even if it's a small group of people? You know, Elijah's day, Elijah was convinced he was the only one serving God. And then God corrected him. He said, no, there's actually 7,000 or whatever the number is. 11,000, somebody can look it up. 7,000, 11,000, thousands of people in Elijah's day. 
So sometimes we can get that way too. So pessimistic, so, you know, everything. What's the point? I seek the Lord for revival because I know the Lord is setting apart him for himself a remnant of people, and I want to be a part of that people. I want to be a part of the, the group of people that the Lord entrusts himself to and moves on behalf of their prayers. I want to be a part of these people. You can begin to just think of yourself as Shalom and Ahikam and Akbor, because those are cool names to say. And I want to be a part of them. You know, at this time, the Lord is also raising up other prophetic voices. Josiah was a um, contemporary of Jeremiah, the prophet, the great prophet Jeremiah. Also, the minor prophet, Zephaniah. So these prophetic voices are being raised up in this day, and Josiah was just tender enough to say, I want to be a part of this remnant of people, these people that are seeking after the face of the Lord. Verse 16, it says this, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place. I'm going to ask Scott to come to the keys. We just got two reasons left. Two more reasons why we need to pray for revival. I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and they have made offerings to other gods and they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent, you humbled yourself before the Lord. When you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and you've wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. This is from the mouth of Huldah the prophetess. This, I'm sure, eccentric lady who was housed over in Jerusalem in the second quarter, but that heard from the Lord. And she spoke kind of a double-edged word of edification and encouragement to Josiah. And both of them are reasons why we need to pray for revival. The ninth reason why we need to pray for revival is because God is a God of justice. He is a God of justice. He is a God who is set in the, in the fabric of the cosmos, this principle of sowing and reaping. That if you sow evil, you will reap evil. If you sow works of righteousness, you will also reap a harvest of righteousness. So I wanna devote myself to the ways of the Lord and not just go after fruitless things because I, I have to understand that there is a judgment to come and, and Huldah does not give Judah a free pass here. She doesn't. She says judgment is still coming and if you continue to read the story, you'll, you'll notice Assyria will come, you'll know Babylon will come. Like this judgment that the prophets are talking about, that the prophetess uh, Huldah talks about, that Jeremiah obviously and Zephaniah talk about, it's coming. And so it is in our generation. When we see our generation going after all sorts of crazy evil, there will be a harvest of judgment. And so in that sense, there should be this 
urgency in our hearts to cry out to the Lord that he doesn't just turn a blind eye to these things. And you can read it. That's not just an old covenant thing. Fire and brimstone, you know, it gets a bad rap because people don't know how to handle it with, appropriate it with grace. But you keep reading in the new covenant, you see judgment is still to come. There is this sense that the God of grace is still a God of judgment. And so that those principles of sowing and reaping, it's, it's just how it is. When we continue to give ourselves a sin, there will be a judgment. The 10th reason though, why we need to pray for revival is because God is a God of mercy. And that's what Huldah delivers to King Josiah is this promise of God's mercy because he was repentant, because he turned to the Lord, that he would actually go to the grave in peace, that there would be this sense of reprieve from judgment, holding off of judgment. And obviously, we live in an even greater revelation of that in our day, where Christ took upon himself the judgment. So as we place our faith in him, we can know that we will receive mercy so all the more we pray for revival in our day as we turn our eyes to the God of mercy. His mercies are new every day. We wanna live under that shelter of God's mercy because when we don't, we are in a dangerous place, which is God's judgment. I hope you can handle that with, I hope you can receive that. Both are true. We need to pray for revival. Every generation is given an invitation. Our, our ways are seen by the Lord. We need God to prick our hearts because Christ is all in all, because his covenant promises are better than we think, because repentance actually looks like something, because God speaks to his people. We need to pray for revival because God is assembling a remnant of people. We need to pray for revival because God is a God of judgment. And we need to pray for revival because God is a God of mercy. Would you all stand? This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.